Ron, let's see if let's see how we're going here. I may have to lean on you here, Ron, as well. We'll see what happens. But um, we've been in the yeah the book of Luke for the most part. There's been a few exceptions, of course, week by week. But this has kind of been our main uh, area that we've been in theme wise. So we're going to be there again, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Uh, barring the exceptions, right, uh, Colin and I are, are given usually a, a time at least once each quarter kind of officially to be, to be bringing a message from the Word, and so we were selecting these texts here, and, uh, and, I, and I selected Luke 10, 38 through 42. That's a little bit of the background of, of why we're here, but regardless, this is the Word of God. And so regardless of the, the, the methodology of choosing, this is God's Word for us. We are here in the Spirit. May we discern truth within um, so, I would like to pray again, if you would bow with me, let's pray and ask that the Lord would be uh, with us and showing us. Heavenly Father, as we look to open your word now, I pray that you would calm our hearts. Thank you that you have uh, called us to rejoice and worship in song. Now, please accept the worship of our hearts as we, as we listen and, 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 and see what your word has to say, what you have to say for us to understand. Um, yes, Lord, open our hearts that we may be open to change whatever your spirit discerns. Please bless the words of my mouth. May I not speak uh, anything wrongly. Help me to continue and communicate your word rightly. This, Lord, we ask, and we can ask confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's orient ourselves to where we are going because I'm just kind of dropping us here into Luke 10, 38 through 42. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, I encourage you to do so. Let's just get ourselves familiar with where we are jumping in. Kind of think of starting at a helicopter level and getting lower and lower, closer and zoomed in our, on our few verses here in Luke 10. Uh, one of the themes, and there, there are several, but one of the themes of the text as we are getting to where we are, one of the themes is that God uh, is concerned with genuine love, like for him or, or for others, but, but genuine uh, love from within. And we saw that uh, in the text before ours, so before 38-42, we notice, if you look at your headings, my heading is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we saw that, you recall, with uh, Nathan. He was bringing that message a few weeks back here to us. And we saw that idea of God's concern for genuine love, namely for the neighbors, in this case, and the Good Samaritan exemplified it, but that love we ought to have for others uh, ought to be present. We saw that there in the Good Samaritan, right? We saw this text which one of these is to be uh, proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, the one who showed him mercy, this, this mercy and love. That's a summary verse, really, for the text we are quite familiar with. And then after, so if you look past 38 through 42 in chapter 10, the next section there is the beginning of chapter 11, and there is the Lord's Prayer. That's the heading that I have in my Bible, the Lord's Prayer, and that's another kind of uh, big-ticket text a passage we're pretty familiar with. The Lord's Prayer gives us this instruction of what it means uh, to pray according to Jesus. And even there, there's kind of a, a, another theme layered within. And that's this concept that God is, is desiring. He desires to hear from his people in prayer and to give them uh, what they need, namely uh, the Holy Spirit here. But God uh, seeks us that we would seek after him in prayer. That's, that's another theme. We see that in Luke 11. Let's 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or he asks for an egg, uh, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this concept, right? This idea that how much more so would God provide? How much more? So God is concerned with 
genuine love from our hearts, and he certainly knows our hearts, and he wants us to go to him genuinely in prayer, seeking him, because he seeks to answer us, in this case, provide what we need. So in between those two, like, well-known, big ones, Good Samaritan, the Lord's Prayer, those two passages are, are, are big, we have this tiny little account, this little event in Jesus's life with Martha and Mary at their home in Bethany here. So, further context, what's going on? In the context of Jesus, his ministry, again, where we're just jumping in, these, these, these five verses, not very much here, as we jump in, Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry, not, not at the beginning, not at the end, but right, right in the middle of things, uh, you know, relatively, approximately speaking. He is not uh, uh, headed to Jerusalem yet. He may have begun to kind of turn his sights that way, but in Luke's narrative, he's not going to arrive at Jerusalem till around chapter 19 or so. So, so right in the midst of it, he's well known. He's preaching the kingdom, right? Performing signs of the kingdom, miracles uh, by the Spirit. He's right in the midst of it. He's well known, and he then comes and, and stops at the home of Martha and Mary there in, in Bethany, kind of like a, a, a way stop. And it's, it's mentioned here. It's significant that this small little event, small, you know, relatively speaking, but the small event is listed for us in our Bibles, who are Mary and Martha, right? It's kind of, kind of random, sort of, but it's just, oh, now he's on his way. He enters a village and, and, and stops with Mary and Martha. We know them probably most from John 11 with the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. That was Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were siblings, and that was that kind of well-known, the other well-known account with them, and many of you are familiar with that as well. Uh, it's interesting that if we consider how, how little we really have as far as details of Jesus's like day-to-day life, if we understand like our, our Bibles have everything we need to know, yet it's not exhaustive. It doesn't give us you know everything Jesus happened to have for breakfast on one day, right? Nothing like that. It's it's not that exhaustive. So it's intriguing that we have these details provided, namely that Jesus cared for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus like closely as his friends. In fact, John eleven five just says simply, "Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister." Uh, Martha and Mary. I'm going to switch those up at some point. I just know that I'm going to do that, but make sure I didn't have that verse on there. I did not. Okay, so Jesus loved them, and in fact, the word there is the word we're familiar with, the agape love, a very strong love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So these are his friends. That's the point. These are friends of Jesus, enough so that it's even mentioned by the Spirit-inspired text that he knows them well, and he stops by the home of his friends here in Bethany, and we have this little window it's a little interaction, and so it's small, but it gives us insight into the character of Christ, and that's why we're here, right? That's why we open up the text, is to get insight of our Lord and Savior. Let's get further understanding of who he is, and then what that means for us as we live to follow him as disciples of him. So generally, the premise of our sermon this morning uh, is titled The Good Portion. You'll see why that title is there, but the, the premise then is that Jesus knows our hearts, and inward motivations, like first and foremost, right? He's concerned then with genuine love that stems from a, uh, from a desire to know him. So Jesus knows our hearts, and he's concerned with uh, that we would truly love and desire to know him above all things. And then on the, on the other side, we must guard against a mindset that sees serving Jesus as more important than knowing Jesus. I think we'll see that in this text together. So let's read. Let's read after all that kind of table setting. Let's read Luke 10, 38 through 42. You can read this with me here in your Bibles. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God. And again, not a long encounter here, but it's rich and it's deep, I believe we'll see. I've got three points, three main takeaways, whatever buzzword you want to use there. Uh, some observations of what I see uh, in the text and, and, and really with the, the nature of how brief it is, the order in which I, I find them, it's not based on the order of the text itself. It's, don't, don't worry about that. But um, number one, I think, if we want to see the first main point, if you will, if you're taking notes, number one, the love of Jesus defies expectation. Or you could just say the character of Jesus defies expectation. Jesus himself tends to defy expectations. I think that's a big thing we see as we're building a picture of this text in front of us. Now, under that one, I don't have it subpointed there on the screen, but within this kind of main concept of, of Jesus really going against what we expect in the text here, I think there's two ways that we see it. One that's maybe less of an emphasis, but it's there, and then one that probably is the primary emphasis. But the lesser of the two first, that is, that is still significant, still good to understand here, uh, is that Jesus here, he welcomes all who place their faith in him. Now, that sounds good, but what, what am I getting at? Well, the point here is even fundamentally here, it is significant, because it's here in our Bibles, it's significant that, that um, Jesus is interacting with women here, culturally speaking. Jesus is welcoming these women as really, especially in the case of of Mary here, into this disciple role, right? If we look at our text here, you have Mary, has said, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's a distinctly kind of rabbi setting, a rabbinical setup there, that the rabbi would then teach to those that would sit at his feet and and listen to his teaching, that that kind of concept. Um, And again, this is not the the, 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 primary thrust of the text, but it does give us insight that Christ is crossing maybe a cultural boundary that, not, that probably wouldn't have been quite as welcome, uh, broadly speaking. Yet, here it is in our scriptures, Christ, it's recorded for us by the Holy Spirit, and we see that Jesus welcomes, again, all who would be his disciples, who would follow after him. In this case, Mary, who's, um, who's chosen the good portion, as we'll see. So, in one of the ways that Jesus is kind of defying expectation, he's, he's kind of going against it. And now, this is not a new concept, as I say this, right? I think um, this is why I, I specify the love of Jesus, but it could be just the character, the nature of who Jesus is defies expectation because uh, it's not uncommon for Jesus to go against cultural expectations really with the nature of his ministry on earth. A few examples. If you, you can flip back in your Bible if you like. I think I'll have it on screen here. But Luke 8, 1 through 3, we see that Luke actually mentions several women that were traveling with Jesus and the disciples in general. It says, and the 12 were with him. Also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So that's the point here. The, the main point is many others. That there, were, there were plenty of women that traveled with Jesus in, in this way, so that's not uncommon. And if we branch out a little bit, we recognize that Jesus' earthly ministry itself that was marked by kind of crossing cultural taboos pretty often, kind of with who he associated with, at least to the religious leaders. They didn't like what Jesus was doing, right? Matthew 9, 11, we recognize Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors enough to where it was brought up. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It was enough that it was noticeable. 
Like, what's going on here, Jesus? That's not what we'd expect uh, a teacher to do, a good teacher to do in those words. Um, so his relationship with the religious leaders also was, uh, was, you know, maybe far from smooth, if you want to put it that way. He was quite harsh against these, these instituted authorities of the day. One example, Matthew 28, 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets, do you decorate the mountains of the righteous, monuments of the righteous, excuse me. But the, the main would be that first line, the, the pronouncement of woe against them. That's one of, of, of many examples. But, um, but you see what I'm saying? It's, it's against the maybe cultural expectation there. <clears throat> and a final example, just, just for the sake of it, it's good to have God's word before of us, but uh, Christ exhibited submission to Roman authority even as he recognized God's sovereignty. Again, that wouldn't have been popular. It would have been easy, easy for Jesus to kind of want to align with the, the rebel side there as they sit under Roman rule. Yet, he gives this kind of summary statement, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. And of course, in general, that, that's recognition of God's sovereignty over even Caesar, over even the Roman rule. Um, but the point is he's not going with expectations here. So I think in our text, there's, there's this kind of, it's building up this way, is that the love of Jesus here is going against what we would maybe understand or, or think at first glance. Now, primarily then, the primary thrust, I said there was two kind of under that umbrella, but primarily then, under this, this main point of the love of Jesus defying expectation, we see here in our whole passage that Christian service for Jesus here, Christian service takes a backseat to knowing Christ, at least here. So we don't want to run away, you know, run away from this uh, uh, willy-nilly, but in our text here, Christ is emphasizing the importance of knowing him, certainly, and that's really what should take the place of, uh, or not take the place, but Christian service itself takes the priority a little bit back away from knowing Christ, genuine love, which is tying into some of these themes we've been seeing. Because at a glance, we look at our, our passage, at a glance, Martha's actions seem at least to be good and right. At a glance, it, it seems right that she'd be preparing and sacrificially, you know, fulfilling this kind of host role for Christ. I mean, that's, that's an act of love for Jesus. He's there in the home and she's preparing. She, she wants us to be good for him, surely. So is it not good to show hospitality and sacrificial service to Jesus, right? That seems right. And at a glance, it does seem kind of like Mary's slacking off a little bit here, it's like, you know, Mary, maybe, maybe help first and then you, know, you can both go sit with Jesus. It seems, it seems that way to some of us, maybe at least to my, my eyes initially. Yet, right, Jesus lovingly defies the expectation and gets at the root, which is uh, he's concerned with the heart, our hearts, if we see this as Christians now, and he reveals it based on this encounter. It's not what Martha was expecting. She's assuming Jesus would be on her side and that's not the case. Um, back in 2016 or so, I got the chance to meet the president of Bob Jones University, which in my mind is a big school. I think it's like 3,000 students, maybe, maybe 4,000, something like that, which is big for my relative, <laughs> relative to my experience in, in college. Um, but had a chance to meet him, and we heard, he, we heard it was coming. Like We heard he was going to be stopping by. It wasn't like it was a, through a mutual friend. He knew somebody else, and I was there. It wasn't anything big. Um, but Steve Pettit is his name, by the way. And uh, we heard he was coming to stop by. And in my mind, I had a set of like expectations of what I assumed was going to be the case. I assumed it was going to be a like formal, uh, serious, like super just spiritual stiff coat scenario with this president of this university there present with us. 
Some of that could be based on, again, some of my own background <laughs> experiences, but still, I assumed it was going to be this, this kind of stiff, formal thing, but it was absolutely not the case. Uh, Steve ended up being just this, this super down-to-earth guy, shows up in just like, I mean, it was like, you know, casual clothes. I was expecting a three-piece suit or something. I don't know. But uh, he showed up super casual, and, and, and in general, I was just, I left the conversation edified by his humility, his gospel-centeredness, and his just genuine love uh, for, for us as we, we sat there. And I, I have... Uh, there's, there's no doubt he would not remember me from Adam, but the encounter stood out to me. And that was the idea. I had a set of, the, of expectations, and they were just completely, <laughs> completely different when I encountered uh, the, the president there, Steve Pettit. So in this case, Martha has a set of expectations. She assumes she's in the right, yet not the case. Christ is concerned with other things here, as we'll see. So number two, then, if we're seeing, walking through this text, what are some observations we see? Number one, the love of Jesus defies expectation, kind of goes against what we would think. Uh, number two, here's, here's the, we're kind of reaching the, the, the thrust of the text. Serving Jesus can become an idol. Now, I use that term idol intentionally because it really arrests my thoughts when I hear that term. That really is just a harsh, like, whoa, what do you mean it can become an idol? That idolatry, that, that is such a harsh offense to God. And so I'm, I'm using that term because if we consider what, how, how do we define an idol? We remember this from uh, probably classes as, as kids as well, but really anything that will take the place of God in our hearts is, has become an idol, if we think of it. We, we are turning, if we care more for this, more than we do the things of God or, or God himself, in this, in this case, knowing Jesus, something has dethroned Christ in our hearts. So there's that, that term idolatry as intentional. Now, it's not, uh, I'm not getting that out of nowhere. That's not happening in a vacuum. It's not a term that's limited to the Old Testament. I don't think, do I have it on the screen? Yes, I do. So 1 John 5, 21, at the end of, first, of John's epistle, he gives this kind of just closing statement to Christians. This is, this is post-Christ, you know, new, new covenant, all these things. And he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Just a, a simplistic warning. Little children, endearing Christians, keep yourselves from idols. So this concept, it's clear then that this, this concept of, of uh, the warning of idolatry this, this, that, the, the warning that it could be present is for us today. The warning of idolatry is for us today. If we think of idolatry today, um, most often I think it's going to come in where our hearts seek and desire, what our hearts seek and desire, where we turn to um, with um, yeah, the desires of our heart, our thoughts, our, our minds. And really, I, I won't go down, you can name different things, but it's, it's so relative to our lives, it's really just any of those things we would enjoy that then take the place of Christ. So I, I won't walk through a, a ton of little things like this, but it's interesting here that the, the reality we see in our text of Luke is that for Martha, it was something as good, quotation, right, or something as good and right as serving Jesus, as, as hospitality, right, providing for just that was what had, had kind of, she had, she had messed it up in her mind, right? That had taken the place of even knowing Christ. And that's a sobering thing for us as Christians now as we seek this. So as we look here, let's, let's kind of ask the question, what is happening in Martha's heart that has gotten her to hear? <laughs> what, what's, what's happening that is, that is now having her encounter Jesus this way so that we can see, take note, and learn? So again, I don't, I don't have these on the screen, but for the sake of just memory's, memory's sake, uh, I have a few symptoms. Basically, symptoms of a heart that has maybe slipped 
into idolizing something else instead of following after Christ, or in this case, symptoms of Martha's heart, where she has uh, lost sight of knowing Jesus and instead is, is you know, fixating on, on service in this way. So what we see, one of the symptoms we see in, in verse 40, it's a heart that is distracted from the truth. A heart that is distracted from the truth. If that's, that's the summary of her heart here. We see in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Mary's sitting at the Lord's feet in 39, verse 40, but Martha was distracted. She was not aware of the truth. She had been distracted with what was right in front of her. The, uh, in the Greek, the concept carries the idea of being, being dragged to drag around, like back and forth. Kind of get this idea that she's running and, and you know, doing these different things uh, in, in this hospitality setting, and she has been distracted now. She's not focused on Christ, certainly. Her vision has narrowed down, if you will, kind of tunnel vision. She's seeing the tasks, uh, but she's distracted from the truth. A second symptom here, it's a heart that doesn't listen to Jesus, right? If we use Mary as the opposite example of what, what, what Martha should have been doing, Mary is sitting and listening to Christ. Martha as a whole is not. She's preparing these things, she's trying to prepare the home, and then she, she arrives at Jesus in a huff. She's not been listening. The kind of biblical term for this idea of listening to Christ, or, 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 or I should say a, 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 an additional biblical term, would kind of be the, the inclination of one's heart, a heart that is inclined to the things of God, a heart that is inclined to Jesus. Uh, I think of the earnest cry in Psalm 119.36, the cry of the psalmist here, he prays this, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. So it's, it's, a, it's a prayer of the follower of God there that God would be, be supernaturally helping that our heart would be inclined to him. It's that idea of, of, of a posture of heart that's listening to Christ. And the opposite here, a symptom of a heart that has idolized the wrong things is a heart that does not listen to Jesus. Let's keep going. Number three, a heart that accuses others. We see this in our text. Back to our, our Luke text, if you have your Bible there. Right? Verse 40, she, she uh, says, Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So in her distracted heart, a heart that's lost sight of Christ, Martha is now accusing Mary. She's accusing others, kind of bringing, bringing a, 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 a meanness into the equation here that wasn't present at first. My point here, I think, is that a heart that is losing sight of Jesus is also going to lose sight of those who have been made in his image. That's what's happened here for Martha. In my own experience, I certainly see I see my own heart turning to Martha's ways more than Mary most often. And I think that when I'm losing sight of Christ, that is indeed when I turn to become more critical of others, more nitpicky, less patient, right, with those around me. Those, those, the wrong things that overflow, um, turns out, right, at the root are, are happening because I'm losing sight of Christ. Number four, these symptoms of a heart that has lost sight of Jesus and instead is fixing on other things. It's a heart here that even accuses Jesus. Notice this. Martha is just, is just full sending here in the wrong direction. Verse 40, Martha was distracted. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care? What an audacious claim. In chapter 19, a few chapters later, <laughs> days and weeks later for Christ, he'll eventually go to Jerusalem to the cross for Martha. Yet here she spits in his face and says, do, do you not care? Christ. Do you not care, Jesus? So her heart is utterly lost sight of what is, what is right and what is wrong, right? She, she's completely gone this wrong direction. 
Next, it's a heart that is focused on self. A heart that is focused on self, that, that's reflective of a heart that has lost sight of Christ. And we see that here in, in Martha's case, because notice, it's interesting, in her complaint, <laughs> she's already accused Mary, she's accused Jesus of not caring, and she seems to be most concerned with the fact that she got left to serve alone instead of the fact that she's missing out on seeing Jesus, right? She could have been saying, hey, man, Lord, can you just have Mary help me so then we can both come and sit at your feet and listen? That'd be great. No, she's got, you can almost hear the whining tone of voice, like, I'm stuck serving alone. Have her help me, right? That's where her heart is turning. It's a heart that is self-focused, really just concerned with what's going on inside. And then finally, as the passage really comes to a head in verse 41, when Jesus uh, answers Martha's complaints, it's a heart that is anxious and troubled, a heart that is full of anxiety, a troubled heart with what's going on. That's really, that's really at the bottom of it here. In the, in the bottom of, of the fact that she's lost sight of Christ, as a result, her heart is anxious and troubled. As Jesus answers in verse 41, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So I've used this term symptom on purpose because, uh, again, it helps me as I'm just trying to remember and see what, what these things mean. Uh, but it helps me to consider that I want to be aware and I want to be kind of thinking about my heart and life in light of what I'm reading here. And I want to make sure that I'm not uh, uh, looking over maybe potential symptoms that are cropping up in my heart. Maybe if I'm leaning one direction or the other, maybe I'm losing sight of Christ in one area, I want to address it before it's too late, right? I want to address it when I see it. Now, I used to be this way in the past, but certainly it is, it is gotten just way more the case ever since 2020 and the COVID stuff. But when I start to, these days, when I, if I start to feel the, like the initial symptoms of anything, my first response is like denial, <laughs> just outright denial. Nope, 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 nope. That's not, I'm not sick. I feel great. This is awesome. This headache is normal. These, you know, the dizziness is great. No, you know, whatever it may be, I'm, I'm nope, I'm totally fine. I, I deny the symptom. My favorite scapegoat is the ever elusive and mysterious allergies, right? That can cover everything. It's just allergies, right? I can name that for all things. So that's usually my scapegoat when I'm uh, looking to deny symptoms. But I don't want to do that when it comes to my heart and anything of losing sight of Christ. The reason I list it this way is that we may see this, kind of dissect where Martha's heart is going to get her to this point, and let's be aware of these tendencies in our hearts and areas maybe we need to bring before the Lord. Because, really, the point is, as I see this text, this whole passage and and all my preparation for this text has been a giant mirror for me to see. Most of the time, my heart reflects a... I'm, I'm quick to fulfill checklists and maybe slow to sit before the Lord in prayer and Bible study in my life. I don't know if that may be the case for you as well. I'm, I tend to be fast and quick to these things where I can kind of fulfill a checklist of serving Jesus and maybe slower to embrace what it means to have a posture of heart that is inclined to Christ to listen and to study the word. So I don't want to ignore the symptoms. I want to see these. And let's, let's see what happens then. If, if this is the case, if maybe these tendencies are slipping up or have maybe come to the fore in my heart, uh, what do I do? Well, let's see now how Jesus addresses Martha here. Continuing, really, I think this kind of doubles back to the theme of defying expectation because Martha, you know, dumps this, this frustration upon Jesus and then he responds, maybe defying expectation because he responds in gentleness. So we've seen 
so far. Number one, love Jesus defies expectation. Number one. Number two, that serving Jesus can even become an idol. That's what was happening in Martha's case. But finally, here, here's the key then, if, if this is present. Number three, knowing Jesus is the good portion. Knowing Jesus is the good portion. Let's go back to our text. I'm going I'm, I'm to start at verse 40 so we can get Martha's outburst one more time here. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But, 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So that's, that's where I'm getting the title and, and this kind of main point, that knowing Jesus is the good portion. And I like that that's the, the, the translation the ESV has gone with here because it reminds me of the Psalms. It reminds me of the language of the Old Testament, the Psalms, uh, and really this reflection of, of the man of God being one that is seeing the Lord, seeing God as the highest desire, the greatest thing, the chosen portion, the good portion of all things in front, that Christ is the highest. And we'll see this in Psalm 16 a little bit. Feel free to turn there if you like. I'll, I'll have it on the screen as well. And as, as we read a, a few verses kind of selected here from Psalm 16, note and recognize this, this concept of the inclination of the psalmist's heart. His heart is inclined to the things of God, even as he expresses praise to knowing and treasuring God above all things. Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. How often is my heart thinking that way? And it's all the good things that I can enjoy. That No, no, I have no good apart from you, O Lord. The Lord is my, here we go, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's, that, that's the term that kind of reminded me of there as we see in our Luke text. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Here we are. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's a fundamental concept here. To have set the Lord always before our hearts. That's certainly an inclined heart. That's a heart that is not distracted. That's a heart that sees him as front and center. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a heart that is rejoicing in the pleasures and knowing the Lord, right? That's a heart that is chosen. The chosen portion is God and the psalmist here. And so in Mary's case, if we bring back to our Luke text, that's the example Christ gives, right? That Mary has chosen the good portion, which means to sit under the presence of Jesus, to listen, and to have that heart that is inclined to know, to know from him. I think of also Philippians 3, 7 through 8. I think some of this was read uh, by Colin in the scripture reading as well, but Philippians 3, 7 through 8, or no, I think he was reading from from 2. We'll we'll see. But anyway, in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, notice what the Apostle Paul, he sums up his life as a Christian, not based on all that God has done in his life, but he sums it up this way. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Right? 
If anybody could list some big ways that God has served and moved in his life, it would be the Apostle Paul, but instead his summary is, "Ah, it's all lost for the sake of knowing Jesus. So for the Apostle Paul, certainly knowing Christ was his good portion, if we're going to use our Luke text. So Jesus turns to Martha in love and gives this, this kind of uh, uh, recognition. Martha, you're anxious and troubled, but instead, here's the good portion is to, is to come to me, to come to Christ, to seek him and know him. In fact, it is interesting, at least to me, uh, even as I found this, this text to be so, so helpful as kind of holding up to a mirror to me, there are lots of areas of the Bible that give us very practical instruction right? Exactly what it may mean to live in obedience, exactly what it looks like to live in obedience. If you think of like the New Testament epistles, right, are very full of, okay, here's how a church should run, and all these very practical instructions here of now what it means to live in obedience. But here, our text is notably uh, lacking those things. Our passage here, this little encounter that by the Spirit has been given to us, it it ends kind of before the, the give me the list of what to do now kind of thing. It says, here's the issue, Martha, you've lost sight of Christ. And then the call is just, come and know Jesus. Come to Jesus, come and know him as the good portion. So, even as we consider, in general, broad sweeps, the practical ways that we are called to obey, right? Regular, consistent repentance of sin, pursuit of obedience, the regular, consistent presence of God's word in our life, regular, consistent fellowship with believers in the church, all those areas we're familiar with, yes, those are present. But here in our text, let's hear this together. O Christians, seek to know Jesus. Seek to know your Savior. Let's not let serving or any really avenue of, of, of what looks good on the outside, maybe a false sense of, sense of security, let's not let that take the place of knowing our King and Lord of all things. So what I want to do, just as a, as a wrap-up, is I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses again here that, that paint this picture of our Savior for us. So read these with me. As I read, let them, let them wash over you and let this fill uh, you up as we consider who our Lord is, and then we will pray and then we will sing. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, I kind of have a, a, an order to them, so you may, you may see the order, the intentionality behind the order as we read, but let's, let's make much of Christ based on what his word says for us. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for, this, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And over to Philippians 2, starting in verse 8, being found in human form, he, friend of Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Over to Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Two more passages. We're getting there. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, Romans 6, 4 through 5. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Church, this is our Savior. May our hearts reflect this. That knowing Jesus is truly the good portion. May that be true of us, even as we rejoice and see this in the text. Pray with me and let's sing. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, uh, really, I thank you for the Savior. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins that we may rejoice. Lord, I thank you that the response, even that you give to uh, Martha, the response that you give to us if our hearts are tending that direction is not scorn, but grace and mercy that we can come to you with your arms are open for us. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, by your spirit, make things clear. If there are areas of our hearts that have started to lean toward idolatry, that have started to lean away from seeing you as our chosen portion, as the greatest of all things, Lord, forgive us. And then help us turn away. Help us turn to you by your spirit. Lord, you don't, you don't call us to obedience and then leave us, Lord. You instead enable us and draw us to yourself by the work of your spirit. So I rejoice in that, Lord, and I pray to that end. Lord, you are good and it is right and you are worthy of all honor and worship. Thank you for your word and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, as the team comes up, we'll sing our final song here.